From the highest mountains to the bluest seas, the driest deserts to the icy poles, Kate Turkington has traveled there. And now she's inviting you to travel with her through your radio. Travels with Kate is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Cape Union Mart. Kindle your spirit of adventure. The adventure starts here, only on 101.9 High FM. Adventure. It's not some rare gene inherited by a few people. It's that human instinct to escape, explore, and discover new places and experience new things. That's why at Cape Union Mart, we strive to awaken this adventurous spirit. Because the best gifts are not things, but moments you create with people who matter. Every adventure starts with Cape Union Mart, with gifts like Salomon, the North Face, and K-Way Adventure Gear. Cape Union Mart, the adventure starts here. 101.9 High FM travels with Kate. A very, very good afternoon to you and a belated Happy New Year. Sure, 2023. I don't know where the years go, but I really hope that this year will be all you wish for and more. And let me tell you about today's program. I'm going to be talking about one of the countries I've only visited once. I'd go back like a shot, and that's Japan. Maybe you've never even thought of going to Japan. I'm going to tell you about my visit and some of the experiences I had. Then I'm going to be talking to Tim Kern, as many of you know, is the business editor of Daily Maverick. Why am I talking to him? Because I want to know about cryptocurrency and if any, the effect it's going to have on our future travels, what effect it may or may not have, and also about some of his favourite places. And then finally, I'm going to be reviewing an amazing book, just loved it, about one of South Africa's most prolific, brilliant, but undersung. People really don't know enough about him, explorers and adventurers. But first of all, I'm going to be talking to you about Japan. I went a few years ago, I was totally blown away. And I had, I must fess up, I must be quite honest with you, you know, I was a child growing up in England during World War Two, So the, our enemies were the Germans, our enemies were the Japanese. I know it's water under the bridge now, but you must realise that I carried those sort of feelings with me we all have that we get imprinted as children. I carried them with me a long time. So I always had a kind of mm-hmm about Japan. Anyway, off I went, one of the most brilliant trips I've ever made. And just on the ride from the airport into Tokyo, just imagine there are like concrete canyons of skyscrapers, totally totally blotting out the sky. There are freeways, there are express lanes, there are railway lines, there are overhead rapid transport tracks. I mean, I don't know if you ever saw that movie with Bill Murray called Lost in Translation, how when he arrived in Tokyo, he was totally, totally overwhelmed by the whole place, which is certainly how I uh, felt. When we, when, when you actually get to the heart of the city. First of all, there are thousands of people. I mean, crowds like you've never seen. But the Japanese are so polite. They are so courteous. I don't know how it happens. Maybe it's like a flock of starlings all flying together or a flock of red-billed quilia. They never bump into one another or a flock of starlings when they're migrating, how they don't bump into one another. Same in Tokyo, 13 million people and they're nearly all on the streets, particularly particularly at night, and beautifully dressed, expensively dressed people. Remember, you can hardly afford to buy an apartment. Our guide told us she had to make the choice. It was quite a difficult choice. Did she and her husband have a baby, or did they try to buy a tiny apartment? And in fact, they had chosen to buy the 
apartment. So people are on the streets. So what do they spend their money on? They spend it on consumer goods, particularly on clothes. So you had the girls in the very short, trendy, flirty skirts, baby doll dresses, leggings, boots. By the way, Hello Kitty still rules. You know that little... That little doll toy, Hello Kitty, you've got to be dressed up like a, a little Hello uh, Kitty. You've got young men, old men, perfectly tailored overcoats, professionally uh, cut hair. And then late that night, I went out with a friend. It must have been about half past 11 at night into the heart of the city. The streets were teeming with people, mostly young people. There are musicians playing on a street corner, and it's like people are, are relaxing in this very urban environment after their day at the office. And in Tokyo, relaxation means window shopping, stopping to talk to friends, grabbing a bite. I mean, there are thousands and thousands of uh, little restaurants. And I really did feel as if I was in the middle of a movie. It was like an experience I had like no other. But I'll tell you more about it in just a moment. From the highest mountains to the bluest seas, the driest deserts to the icy poles, Kate Turkington has traveled there. And now she's inviting you to travel with her through your radio. Travels with Kate is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Cape Union Mart. Kindle your spirit of adventure. The adventure starts here, only on 101.9 High FM. Adventure. It's not some rare gene inherited by a few people. It's that human instinct to escape, explore, and discover new places and experience new things. That's why at Cape Union Mart, we strive to awaken this adventurous spirit. Because the best gifts are not things, but moments you create with people who matter. Every adventure starts with Cape Union Mart, with gifts like Salomon, the North Face, and K-Way Adventure Gear. Cape Union Mart, the adventure starts here. 101.9 IFM, I'm Kate Turkington, and I'm telling you today about Japan. And to start with, particularly about Tokyo. <laughs> Let me just tell you about the hotel room. Everything is tiny because there's no space. I mean, it's, it's a lot of people living actually in a very, very small space. The hotel room is tiny. I mean, you couldn't swing a, well, you couldn't swing a cat in it. I don't think you could swing a newborn kitten in it, but everything works. I mean, I got kind of used to moving around in a very small space, like two steps to the window, three steps to the tiny, tiny bathroom, which is ultra-efficient. I must tell you, every time I brushed the toilet seat, it flushed, the lights came on alongside the lid, and a voice asked me if I wanted to spray turn on the B-Day function, stand by, keep the seat heated, or change the water pressure. It's a bit intimidating when you've got up for a wee in the middle of the uh, night, I must uh, tell you. But we went the next day, I, I hope I'm pronouncing it properly, the Meijingu Shinto Shrine. Sunday afternoon, crowded, especially with families, and small girls and boys are brought there in their full ceremonial traditional dress for special blessings. It, it's almost like a doll's parade. And then there were a couple of wedding parties with the bride and the groom in the full ceremonial traditional Shinto costume, all very, very solemn, great solemnity. But outside the shrine itself, the, the square in front of the shrine pulses with life. There are pilgrims, I mean, there are There were very few tourists when I was there, actually. Pilgrims are climbing the steps to the shrine door. And what they do, they climb up the steps, they bow very deeply, they clap their hands twice, make a wish, like for good exam results or a suitable life partner, they bow again 
and then after that they come back to the swirling mob of people in the uh, square and the sheer diversity of things. There was a young woman in sheer black stockings, long sexy suspenders under a very frothy white miniskirt and she was praying devoutly beside a very sober robed monk. And this kind of bizarre mix of Western chic and hip-hop and age-old tradition. You've got like top fashion labels with brocaded kimonos. I mean, it seems in Tokyo that really anything, anything uh, goes. And I thought only in, only in Tokyo would you get actually an alley or a shopping arcade leading straight out of a temple. I mean, how's that for ancient tradition consumerism uh, going hand in hand? Or maybe rampant consumerism meets sort of fragments of very old age uh, tradition. Anyway, 30 minutes from Tokyo, another world begins because lots of small mountains appear. I, I didn't know till I went to Japan 70% of Japan is covered in mountains. And what is left? Okay, you can do the math. 70% of Japan is covered in mountains. What's left is inhabited by, wait for it, 127 million people. Okay. Anyway, it was, uh, the mountains had autumn, it was nearly Christmas, so there were still some autumnal colours left, so there was a blaze of colour on the mountains of scarlet and orange and yellow, and we passed one of many, many golf courses. Apparently, eight million Japanese people, mostly men, play golf, and what do they do? They take public transport to the countryside and then they courier their golf clubs. So we were on a train with all these guys who were going to play golf. No no clubs. They said, oh, no, we've couriered them. And I was thinking to myself, oh, my word, that must be so expensive. And I had left my notebook. I'm still very old-fashioned. I write my notes, I keep my notes in a notebook. And up to then, I'd made a lot of notes in my travel notebook, and I had left it behind in the hotel we had just left. And our guide said to me, don't worry, we'll courier it. And I thought, oh, my word, what's that going to cost you? You it's like when we're traveling with Rand into very expensive countries. Let me tell you, by the time I got to my next hotel, the notebook had arrived and was in my room, and the cost, 27 Rand. I, I just I just couldn't couldn't believe it. But Kate's luck struck again because Mount Fuji, I mean that's the ultimate icon and symbol of Japan, you know, that snow capped conical shape going up into the sky. Apparently it's only totally visible sixty percent of the year. Well, I was there during part of that 60%. was the most beautiful, beautiful, bright, sunny day. We climbed up uh, some of the uh, slopes, and then we took a bus up to Stage 5, which was a dreadful, terrible, tacky uh, tourist trap, but with absolutely gorgeous views of the Bear Peak. Uh, above the skyline. And by the way, Mount Fuji is a standalone. It's a bit like Kilimanjaro in Tanzania. No other mountains near it. It's just a standalone uh, mountain. And then we went, and I love this, we went to a bathhouse for a couple of uh, nights. So you take off your shoes when you get there, you're given pyjamas and a robe, and you stay in your jammies and your robe for the two days you're there. And everybody's the same, so nobody looks out of uh, place. Tiny room, but, but 
um, compared to the hotel room, much bigger, uh, had mats on the floor, floor-to-ceiling windows overlooking lawns and birch and pine trees, and very simple, low tables, two cushions, uh, a cupboard, a washroom, all sort of separated by very silent sliding doors. It's a very sort of peaceful, zen-like uh, place. And at night they put a futon on the floor, which, if you're getting a bit creaky like I am, it's not all that easy to get up from a futon on a Japanese washhouse floor. What you do is you sort of roll over on your side, get on your hands and knees and uh, get up from uh, there. And we had traditional hot baths in public sulfur-fed pools. You strip off, you wash thoroughly all over, then back into the steaming water. And then we had a meal. I'll just quickly tell you about the meal, because it sounds pretty awful, but it wasn't. It was raw. It was a traditional meal, raw fish, soup, tiny kind of indeterminate vegetables, seaweed, a jellyfish cube, um, an edible flower sprig of Japanese basil, tiny, tiny little slivers of duck, and warm sake. You have to have sake warm in earthenware cups, all served in exquisite porcelain containers. And may I tell you, it was absolutely delicious. And the food... That's another story. The famous Kobe beef lives up to its reputation as the tenderest beef in the world. If you don't know about Kobe beef, the cows listen to Mozart. They're regularly massaged and they're fed on beer and it costs about 500 rand for 100 grams. It was absolutely uh, wonderful. Um, very finally to Kyoto, uh, a UNESCO World Heritage Site. And we talked to a traditional geiko, a geisha, uh, or we went to a geiko house, rather, and we talked to uh, a maker, and she's an apprentice ge geisha. And unlike her forebears who were sold into slavery, the makers today choose their profession as entertainers, musicians and dancers. And of course I had to ask, do they sleep with their clients? And our maker said, no, 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 no. But she did confess that sometimes they fall in love with their wealthy patrons. And finally, finally, nothing but nothing prepares you for Hiroshima. The A-bomb dome which is another UNESCO World Heritage Site, was the only building left standing after that dreadful, fateful, fatal moment at quarter past eight on August the 6th, 1945, when the first ever atomic bomb was dropped by the US and approximately Approximately, they they really don't know. They reckon it could have been up to 160,000 people lost their lives. And the thing that will remain with me forever in the museum is beautifully understated. It reminded me for some reason of the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem. Understated, so poignant, so, so hurtful, so, so... Oh, brings tears to the eyes. They've got a photograph of some steps. And on those steps is a shadow. And that shadow was once a human being that was obliterated when that bomb went off. All that remains is a shadow on some steps. From the highest mountains to the bluest seas, the driest deserts to the icy poles, Kate Turkington has traveled there. And now she's inviting you to travel with her through your radio. Travels with Kate is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Cape Union Mart. Kindle your spirit of adventure. The adventure starts here, only on 101.9 High FM. Adventure. 
It's not some rare gene inherited by a few people. It's that human instinct to escape, explore, and discover new places and experience new things. That's why at Cape Union Mart, we strive to awaken this adventurous spirit. Because the best gifts are not things, but moments you create with people who matter. Every adventure starts with Cape Union Mart, with gifts like Salomon, the North Face, and K-Way Adventure Gear. Cape Union Mart, the adventure starts here. Joining me now is Tim Kern, business editor at Daily Maverick. I'm sure many of you, most of you, in fact, read his column after the bell. I certainly do. And I'm, I'm always amazed, Tim, at how you're able to discuss very complex business subjects in a very accessible and understandable Way. I mean, I rely on you to decode so much of what's happening in the business world. But today, I thought I'd like to talk to you about cryptocurrency. I mean, we've just had that huge FTX, wasn't it, gone, gone bust. Um, yes, that's right. But cryptocurrency, what, what exactly is it? If you're explained, Uzi, I was trying to explain it to Uzi, my controller, and not explaining it all that well, and then to go on perhaps to how, if at all, it will affect our travel habits or our travel spending or whatever. So, Tim, over to you, 101 Cryptocurrency. It's a real pleasure to be on your program. I've been uh, a reader of your journalism for years and years and years. It's uh, You're an absolute ph- phenomenon. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Um, you know, cryptocurrency <laughs> um, has had this past year an absolutely terrible year. Mm. Prior to the to to uh, the, the, this past year, call it to 2022, uh, um, the uh, it showed enormous promise, um, and it showed enormous promise. I think because uh, it it's um, uh, it it uh, reflected what currency actually is. So currencies are a concept. We think of them as money, um, but in fact, they are a, uh, they're an idea. And, uh, cryptocurrency brought that out. It, it's, uh, and it's, uh, it, it promised to revolutionize the, 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 the transfer and, and storage of money, um, and make it much easier, uh, for people of, uh, different nationalities to con- transact, right? Um, so all of that is, uh, uh, is fantastic, uh, and it had some very strong supporters in the tech industry uh, because they thought, well, uh, he, he, instead of using the euro, the dollar, the, this confusing morass of things, we could just use a single currency uh, that that uh, uh, and and uh, the transfers would all take place on the internet. They'd all be instant. It will just be, you know, nirvana, money nirvana. Um, so that, that was the theory. The practice, it turns out, completely different. <laughs> not, not surprising. In what um, way? And, Tim? uh, this past, well, first of all, the, 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 uh, um, uh, because people got enthusiastic about it very, uh, um, you know, all of a sudden, uh, the value of a lot of the currencies of these, uh, uh, imaginary currencies just zoomed up. I mean, just exploded. Um, uh, uh, drawing in in their you know in their wake um, uh, uh, people who are genuinely interested, but also fraudsters and uh, hucksters and you know the usual stuff that happens when um, you know you, 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 something uh, explodes in value, right? A bit like uh, the South Sea bubble the, in the 1800s. Exactly, exactly. No, no, no. Completely. No, 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 totally. And, and, and like the a gazillion, uh, uh, um, crazy booms in the financial industry that have happened since. Uh, anyway, so at the beginning of this year, the, the value, uh, um, starts to go down. Uh, and then, you know, there's a big crisis. Um, the, um, the, uh, there was a lot of organizations which, which basically stored your cryptocurrency for you, a kind of bank of cryptocurrencies, uh, that used the cryptocurrency as a, as a, a form of, um, 
uh, leverage um, and they invested in, you know, other things, you know, with the, the, the theoretical, against the theoretical value of the cryptocurrency. In other words, this is terribly oversimplifying. They took pretend money and invested it in real stuff. Yes, which would have been fine if the real stuff that they invested in was, you know, was honestly investable. Uh, but, but because the value of the cryptocurrency had exploded so fast, they were investing in, uh, uh, you know, there's a different organizations had different approaches, like yeah. different banks have different approaches to the investment yeah. process. Uh, but some of them invested in, um, in, uh, in all kinds of very odd uh, uh, schemes and uh, systems and uh, uh, um, so you know it's not as though cryptocurrency uh, that everybody who owns cryptocurrency has uh, uh, um, has ended up with nothing there's a lot of cryptocurrency which is still very valuable uh, um, but, uh, but 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 the 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 the, the most obvious uh, collapse, one of several, by the way, that happened yeah. in 2022, um, was the FTX one mm. that you were talking about. Mm. And they definitely, it seems, very uh, uh, invested in stuff that was just nutty. Um, mm. And, and you know, money didn't – it didn't have the feeling of money. So, you know, they, the, so Sam Bankman-Fried, who was the CEO of uh, FTX, uh, just incredibly went from, a, from, from being worth around about $16 billion to, to being worth less than nothing. In sure. the space of, sure. you know, a week. Now, now um, just, just explain to me, Tim, and for people who don't know, how does cryptocurrency work? I, I mean, I know it's uh, an algorithm, a digital algorithm, but how does it work? Let's say, let's say I've got 10,000 rand and I want to buy cryptocurrency. How does it work? I mean, are the other people already in this sort of algorithm, in this chain, in this circle? How 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 does it? Can you give me a kind of metaphor of of how it works? In in some ways, it's very similar to, uh, to if you had um, ten thousand rand and you wanted to buy. Uh, you know, dollars with your 10,000 yes. rand. You would go to an intermediary, uh, you know, which would be a currency exchange in this, uh, and you would say, uh, buy me dollars worth 10,000 rand. Uh, and they would take a cut in the process of yeah. buying you the dollars and you, you would, you would end up with, uh, uh, holding dollars and not, uh, holding rands. Uh, so the process is very similar with some very, uh, um, notable, uh, um, differences. So you you would go to a uh, to a, a cryptocurrency uh, exchange and say, "Here's my ten thousand rand. Buy me um, a certain number of." Uh, and and by the way, there are zillions of them now, right? Yeah. There's a, a, a Bitcoin is obviously the the main one, but yeah. there are um, huge numbers of others that have different logic behind them and have different theories behind them and have different functionalities. So it's a, it's a an, an extraordinarily uh, diverse, um, uh, but set of uh, of, um, of of currencies that are available to you. The um, but say you wanted to buy Bitcoin, which is the biggest and the yeah. main one. It constitutes about two thirds of the market. Um, you would say, how many Bitcoins would I get for for ten thousand uh, for ten thousand rand? As it turns out, not very many, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. Okay. Um, the, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but then, but the, 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 one, one of the notional beneficiary, uh, benefits of, uh, cryptocurrency is that you have this thing called a distributed ledger, uh, which, which basically means that every transaction is, is publicly recorded. So, so when you pay for your, uh, with your 10,000 rand for your, um, for your Bitcoin, it's registered there that, that so many Bitcoin were sold by this person to, to, to you. Um, and, uh, and that was supposed to help make the whole system more secure and, uh, and more certain. Uh, and, uh, in contrast to banks, which also obviously have their own ledgers, but those yeah. ledgers are not public. Um, yeah. so the, um, but the the other complicated the other thing that we didn't realize was uh, the the price that you pay the the the, the commission that you you pay uh, to the to the notional equivalent of the um, of your currency 
um, exchange. Um, that differs wildly according to the availability of uh, of um, of free cryptocurrency, cryptocurrency that people don't want to sell, right? Um, okay. So actually, it's quite expensive. It's turning out to be much more expensive than people initially thought to actually perform the transactions, um, oh. and takes longer, um, which which is a which is a terrible um, um, disappointment to all of the people who claimed that that uh, <laughs> this was going to be one of the big advantages of. Crypto. Now, now, Tim, so, if if any. Let's say in, I don't know, 10 years' time, 15 years' time, whatsoever, and I'm going to uh, book a trip overseas or I want to go somewhere. Do you foresee a time when we'll be able to do this with cryptocurrency? Yes, I mean, I think you, it, 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 theoretically, I think it will be um, uh, uh, long term uh, or longer term uh, once all of this sort of chaos has yes, uh, has, has settled. Yeah. Um, it will be it will be technically possible. So the the, the question though is whether or not it will be um, uh, w- whether it will have a real utility. The um, uh, because you know one of the things that cryptocurrency has done is that it's just woken up all of the financial institutions around the world, and now it is getting cheaper and it is easier just to use your credit card. You know, yeah. it's the same system, right? Yeah. Uh, so, um, oh, so, so cryptocurrency. <laughs> so it, so, so it's it, may, a, it may be that it's. A, yeah, it's taken yeah, one. I mean, it may one be new that, thing to to uh, um, another mother of all inventions to put the banks into a bit of a tailspin. Yes, exactly, and they, the um, and they, the, all of the banks have looked at this cryptocurrency uh, explosion uh, with uh, with fear and dread because the one thing they want, don't want to do, they don't want to lose their customers yeah. to this uh, to this new system. So well, um, the, uh, the the other problem with cryptocurrency at the moment, and this everyone will tell you, is that it moves in value very fast. Well, at the moment, it's uh, you know you, you can. Uh, um, if you bought the, that 10,000 round, if you spent that 10,000 round on Bitcoin, you know, you could make, uh, you know, 5%, 10% in two days and sure. you lose <laughs> 10% in two days. So, you know, if you're booking a holiday, um, yeah. uh, you, 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 you in, in the same way that you do in, in some, yeah, it's in the same way you do when you, you're transferring rands in a way. Uh, so sometimes it's to your advantage to book a holiday now for, you know, uh, six months down the line. Um, you're, you're assuming that the value of the rand will decline or you're, uh, that would be to your advantage because then you'll be paying cheaper yeah. than you would if you bought it, um, right against your trip. Um, but it is a, but generally speaking, it does make people cautious if, uh, understandably, if the, if the, if the currency is moving up and down very fast. Exactly. Which, which, uh, no, no, yeah, so, so, you know, I, I think, I think that the, the, the future of cryptocurrency is a big question mark over now. Um, and we, you know, it will, uh, uh, it may have a utility, it may not. It's going to take a few years for us to discover. But, you know, I was just thinking, Tim, while you were talking, going from the days of traveler's checks and getting our airline tickets, do you remember this, to now doing everything online and just swiping your phone uh, when you're about to board? Things things have moved fairly quickly in, well, I don't know, the last 30 years, I suppose. But... But now, just to go on to, I know you live in the Karoo, which is one of my favorite places on earth, uh, I may tell you. But what are your favorite travel destinations? <laughs> you know, I, um, uh, I, I don't suppose you could really say the, the Karoo is a travel destination if you live there. Oh, the, no, uh, but I do love the Karoo. It's, it's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's gorgeous. It's, uh, it's a the, you know one of the undiscovered areas, uh, places in South Africa, uh, um, and it's uh, it's it's very varied. I think mm-hmm. that's the thing that people don't understand about it or don't appreciate fully is that uh, you know if you live in the Karoo, there are Karoo people, you know, distinguish between 
you know, the, uh, not only, uh, the, uh, uh Klankaroo and the Hrukaroo, but also, you know, uh, um, western, eastern, uh, the northern part, cold, uh, mountainous, flat, you know, all of these things are, um, uh, to Karoo people are very significant, but uh, to South Africans who, whose experience of the Karoo is quite often just driving from Johannesburg to Cape Town, <laughs> you know, they have one sort of idea of it. The, uh, so I live uh, um, uh, just outside of Prince Albert in the mountains. Oh, so I live in the mountainous Karoo, which is yeah. in, its, in its own way is very unusual. Um, but, uh, uh, and it's a delight. And uh, um, the, um, but it's not a travel destination. <laughs> I, I once, my, mind my, you, my, I um, once did, Tim, I was in Prince Albert and I did the most marvellous ghost tour, uh, ghost tour there. I don't know if it's still running. A lady used to run it and we did it as dusk was falling. You know, I come from a long line of Yorkshire witches, so we used to call it Daygate. That's when... Day is going and evening it's coming and you could very easily slip. (laughs) Slip. This is all woo woo nonsense, of course, but this is the, this is the uh, Bible, if you like. Day gate, you could slip so easily from one area into another, from one world into another. But when you're not in the crew, where do you go? You warned me that you were going to ask this question. I have two places in mind. The first is Istanbul. I I, um, I, I loved going to Istanbul. I went I uh, four years ago, uh, uh, and it's uh, it was just a revelation in so many ways. Mm-hmm. It's um, to me, it was a, a very interesting because I'm interested in history and uh, of politics. And uh, Istanbul, you know, is a is a literal um, example of a place that s- sits on the middle of the the divide between east and west yes. um and and just to make that you know literal uh, um example even more clear there are two really extraordinary buildings the blue mosque and the hagia sophia yes. uh, that stand opposite each other you know across the way from the old roman hippodrome the uh, so you know you you're immersed in in sort of beauty, history, uh, mm-hmm. politics, economics, um, and it's you know the the, uh, the city itself is um, on both sides of the Bosphorus, and it's just uh, and it's huge um, and and very vibrant, and uh, the food culture uh, is just extraordinary. Um, and by the way, it's just, just a stunning. That was a quick stunning, question. Stunning. I hope you went to those original yeah. five hundred year old hammam, the Turkish bath. And had a Turkish bath there. If you haven't, you must do it I when did, you get yes. back. It was oh, you very did. weird. <laughs> it was very. I, I mean, you go. The first time I went, I was expecting you no know, scented oils and lying back, and instead I got put between the knees of a very large Turkish lady who scrubbed me all over and scrubbed my hair and laid me flat naked on a slab. <laughs> but I was On the very slab refreshed. Of marble, yes, yes, I was right. very refreshed and rejuvenated <laughs> afterwards. I know, Tim, it's been great talking to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And please keep on with After the Bell. From the highest mountains to the bluest seas, the driest deserts to the icy poles, Kate Turkington has traveled there. And now she's inviting you to travel with her through your radio. Travels with Kate is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Cape Union Mart. Kindle your spirit of adventure. The adventure starts here, only on 101.9 High FM. Adventure. It's not some rare gene inherited by a few people. It's that human instinct to escape, explore, and discover new places and experience new things. That's why at Cape Union Mart, we strive to awaken this adventurous spirit. Because the best gifts are not things, but moments you create with people who matter. Every adventure starts with Cape Union Mart, with gifts like Salomon, the North Face, and K-Way Adventure Gear. Cape Union Mart, the adventure starts here. 1.9, 1.9, Hi FM, Kate Turkington, we're talking travel, and we're talking always in this part of the program about books, maybe books you want to carry with you when you're traveling. I never, 
ever, ever travel without a book. We all know the perils of modern-day travelling. In fact, I often wonder, I can't remember who it was, who said it's better to journey than arrive. must have been somebody who lived a long, long time ago and had never sat for hours and hours at airports or, or had delayed planes or trains that didn't work or or what whatever. Anyway, I'm going to talk to you about a wonderful book that came across my desk just before uh, the holiday period. It's called Birchall's African Odyssey. It's published by Strake Nature and it's by Roger Stewart and Marion Whitehead. And it talks about Birchall's African Odyssey when he came back from his travels. He started off at Kuruman in the Northern Cape with an ox wagon, came right the way down from the Northern Cape to the coast, plets all along the garden route, got to Cape Town and beyond. And let me just tell you a bit about him. You may not know who William John Birchall was. I'll give you his dates. He was 1781 to 1863. So we're talking about the early 1800s when he first came to uh, South Africa. And think about that. I always like to put things in context. That's when Shelley was writing his odes. That's when John Keats had started to die of uh, TB. It's when Byron was gadding about in Turkey, uh, rabble-raising, as he, the mad, bad Lord Byron, uh, was gallivanting about uh, Turkey. So, 1811, this young man, he was 29 years old, disembarked in Cape Town. Very young, very experienced, but he had this kind of urged his passion for science. And what he did in the next four-year trek when he came back from Kuruman in the Northern Cape, where he travelled to in the beginning on the way back, is one of the most remarkable journeys of all time. And that's what the book is about. Nobody before had written about his return journey. They'd all written about how he got to Kuruman and when he first came here. Nobody had actually written about how he got back. And that's what Roger Stewart and Marion Whitehead have done so well. And just let me tell you before I go on, the book is crammed with the most beautiful illustrations, you want to almost, and of course we would never do it, but you almost want to rip out the pages of some of his paintings and drawings and frame them. His studies of botany, his pictures of flowers and herbs, his pictures of the local people, his drawings of the local people as he traversed, his drawings of animals, of birds, one of my favourite birds, the crimson-breasted shrike, first described by this young man in the early 1800s. I mean, he went on to describe and catalogue so many specimens, just thinking about birds. Think about the Neisner Taraka, the saddlebull stork, stone chats, fork-tailed drongos, red-eyed baubles. Birchall drew them all and catalogued. So he travelled for 7,000 kilometres. Just think about that in an ox wagon. And he amassed a collection of 63,000 specimens of plants, mammals, insects, birds, reptiles. Where are they now? Most of them are at the Royal Botanical Gardens in Kew or at the Oxford University Museum of Natural uh, history, but when he did get home eventually, he actually cultivated uh, plants and bulbs, seeds and bulbs he brought back from his trek. And would you believe it? Today, you'll find them in gardens all of England. So, who was this remarkable 
uh, man, this young, multi-talented man. Well, he was an English naturalist, but let's add some stuff. He was a collector. He was a traveller. He was an explorer. He was an artist. He was an author. I suppose we describe him today as uh, a polymath. And it has been said of him that his work as a naturalist has never, ever uh, been equal. Look, there had been early collectors in uh, South Africa, uh, all kinds of early collectors, but nobody, absolutely nobody, achieved what Birchall uh, achieved. So what did he do? Well, he got a purpose-built ox wagon. I mean, he didn't just take some of any old uh, ox, ox wagon. He he got this wagon made to his calculations because it was going to be much, much more than just his means of transport. It was going to be his home. It was going to be his office in all weathers, I may say. It was going to be a mobile warehouse. It was going to be a library. It was going to be a laboratory, an art studio, and even a space for entertaining a guest now and then. And there's a wonderful drawing picture of the wagon, his medical chest, where that went, where everything was very meticulous. Everything had a place in that wagon. And can you imagine... Can you just imagine, we've all done those long, hard car journeys. I did one back from uh, from the bush on uh, New Year's Day, six and a half hours when we're all grumpy and irritable and the kids are getting irritable. Can you imagine an ox wagon pulled by a couple of oxen? To begin with, he had a whole, I think he had... Um, about eight pulling it, but they they either got killed or stolen on his journey, and he ended up with just a couple. But can you imagine that wagon being pulled over that terrain, over mountains, across rivers, every single day? Yet, every night, every single night of his journey, Birchall recorded what he'd gathered that day, what he'd seen that day. He packaged it up. Uh, there's a picture of a little stone chat. He slit up, dead one, he slit open its uh, belly and he filled it with um, seeds of some sort and sewed it up so it would last. And all his specimens did last. I think a few may have got lost in rivers along the way, but as I said, 63,000 specimens finally found their way uh, to uh, museums. I mean, the most remarkable, remarkable achievement. <laughs> and the authors have given us his packing list, which apparently is straight from uh, his nose. I'm not going to read it out because it's very, very, very long. Um, blue check handkerchiefs, buttons, Tobacco, snuff, snuff boxes, knives, looking glasses, uh, clothing and blankets, arms and ammunition. There were six muskets and powder horns, a large rifle, a cutlass, four barrels of gunpowder. So, so the arms and ammunition gone. Then there were carpenters' tools, like saws and hammers and hatchets and sledgehammers and spades and pickaxes. And then there were the stores, the ropes and the lines and the sacks and the canvas bags and the spare yokes and the halters and tar and pitch and grease and resin to keep the wagon uh, going lantern and something I love, the English colours. He carried the British uh, flag with him. Then there were all the provisions, rice, bread and biscuit, flour and wheat, wine, rum and brandy. So she obviously had a dop uh, with his evening meal. And st stunning illustrations in the book, mostly his own drawings. And so often in his drawings, he'll do a drawing, for example, of the Nisner Heads when he got down to the coast. And he will put a little drawing of himself somewhere in that drawing. And there he is, sometimes in his top hat, but usually in his total outfit, 
breeches and waistcoat and jacket and cap and all the paraphernalia of what a young man in the early 1800s would be wearing. I mean, his achievements are absolutely uh, astonishing. And, of course, animals, I'm sure many of you have seen our zebras. Well, they're Birchall's uh, zebras. And he was the very, very first William Birchall to distinguish the mountain zebra uh, from the plain zebra. Plain zebra is the one we see in Kruger and the Lofel. Uh, mountain zebra is the one you see in the Cape and the Crew. And you probably know um, our zebra, the zebra and the low felt and Kruger, the game park, the stripes join under the belly. The stripes go all the way round like a parcel that's been wrapped in uh, stripes. Uh, the mountain zebra, that doesn't happen. So it really, really is a stunning book. Stunning book to give us a gift or a stunning book uh, to keep yourself. And eventually... After a lot of adventures, I mean, it was a 7,000-kilometre journey, he gets down to uh, the coast, and he gets to uh, Plet, he gets to uh, Neisner, describes things all along there. And, you know, he was light years ahead of his time because he was an ecologist. He was all these other things I've said, travel, explorer, scientist, whatever. But he was also a natural philosopher. And I'm very, very lucky. I've twice been in the company and interviewed the Dalai Lama. And the very, f in those days when he was allowed to come to South Africa, um, when I first met the Dalai Lama, he said something that actually touched me and really changed my perception of things. It's something we all recognize now. He said, this was the Dalai Lama, always remember the interconnectedness of all things. Always remember the interconnectedness of all things. And here is Birchall in 18... I don't know, 1820, 1815, writing. He's writing about all the stuff he's been collected. He said, "It's and I quote, it must not be supposed that these charms, the charms of all the things he's been collected, are produced by the mere discovery of new objects. It is the harmony with which they have been adapted by the creator to each other. In other words, the interconnectedness of all things. It's a gorgeous book. Birchall's African Odyssey, revealing the return journey, 1812 to 1815, by Roger Stewart and Marion Whitehead, and it's published by Strake Nature. Well, that's all for this week. We've got lots of things in store for you in the coming weeks. If there's a place you'd like me to talk about, if there's somebody you'd like me to talk to, well, please let me know. It's kate at hi.co.za. And remember, hi, that wonderful Jewish word for love is C-H-A-I, kate at hi .co.za, or you can get me at, on my website at kate, at kateturkington.com. Thanks for being with me. Lots of love, lots of light. See you again next week. From the highest mountains to the bluest seas, the driest deserts to the icy poles, Kate Turkington has traveled there. And now she's inviting you to travel with her through your radio. Travels with Kate is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Cape Union Mart. Kindle your spirit of adventure. The adventure starts here, only on 101.9 High FM. Adventure. It's not some rare gene inherited by a few people. It's that human instinct to escape, explore, and discover new places and experience new things. That's why at Cape Union Mart, we strive to awaken this adventurous spirit. Because the best gifts are not things, but moments you create with people who matter. Every adventure starts with Cape Union Mart, with gifts like Salomon, the North Face, and K-Way Adventure Gear. 
Cape Union Mart. The adventure starts here.